Welcome. My name is Jack, and I'm a follower of God's Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And I would like to share with you uh, something to think about concerning life in the kingdom of God. And it's taken from Matthew chapter 5, and beginning at verse 38, where we have the words of Jesus, and he says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you. And do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The evangelist Matthew has spent most of the first four chapters introducing his audience to Jesus as a kingly figure. As the son of David, Jesus meets powerful foes in the beginning of the gospel. Even in his infancy, this king was a threat to Herod. Herod responded to the threat, as many kings do, with force. But in spite of Herod's attempts, angelic intervention saves Jesus and his family. Then God's Holy Spirit forces Jesus into the wilderness to meet a greater foe than Herod, a foe with the ability to grant Jesus power over kingdoms superior to Herod's. Yet Emmanuel, God with us, he prevails and announces the arrival of the kingdom of heaven. By the time that we arrive at our reading from uh, this passage, Matthew is eagerly anticipating what this king will do. We are not the only ones waiting expectantly for this king's speech. Jesus has amassed a great following from Galilee, from Jerusalem, from Judea, beyond the Jordan. Basically, he has gathered a great crowd from the entire region. He has disciples who have left their livelihoods to follow him, and they are following him around the countryside as though he is their only hope. Jesus has all the makings of a great king a kingly heritage, a miraculous birth story, divine blessing at the time of his baptism, the fear of earthly leaders, and a ready-made army of the multitudes. 
could this be the one to restore the throne of David, as the beginning of Matthew's Gospel suggests? When this heaven-sent leader finally addresses his followers, what does he say? Well, after blessing the outcasts, the needy and the downtrodden, and those on the fringes of society, Jesus talks about anger, about loyalty and retaliation. Unlike many political activists, Jesus does not play upon the people's anger toward injustice and incite them to take revenge. There's no battle cry here. In fact, after hearing this sermon, we might wonder why Jesus kept attracting crowds at all. Why would these masses take such a risk to follow Jesus? And the Romans did not take kindly to large crowds following would-be kings. These multitudes, however, have already had a taste of God's kingdom. Among them are those whom Jesus has healed. They know that Jesus has great power. They have experienced the good news of the kingdom and they will risk everything to follow Jesus wherever he goes. So in this air of political tension and grassroots dreams, Jesus tells his followers what God's reign on earth really looks like. Jesus calls his audience not to take up arms, but to be bearers of the kingdom by turning the other cheek, loving their enemies, and being perfect as God is perfect. Compared to all the great empires of world history, Jesus' advice appears, well, frankly, ridiculous. What kind of kingdom works this way? The principle of a, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth seems to be just. The punishment should fit the crime. Jesus, however, tells his followers not to resist one who is evil. In fact, when wronged, it is better to suffer more wrong than to retaliate unjustly. These would-be kingdom bearers are not called to suffer passively, though. They are called to do the unthinkable. They are called to love those who persecute them and to pray for them. In Matthew's Gospel, love is not for the faint-hearted. Jesus' very mission is a demonstration of God's love. Furthermore, prayer is dangerous. Jesus is about to teach his followers how to pray. They are to pray that God's kingdom comes, to ask for what they need to survive each day and to seek forgiveness in the same way that they forgive others, even their enemies. They are to love their enemies and pray for their persecutors so that they may be children of their Father who is in heaven. This God allows the sun to shine on the evil and the good, 
and in life giving rain to fall on the just and on the unjust. God, who has power over life and death, provides life-sustaining conditions even for those who are diametrically opposed to God's goodness. Anyone can love the lovely. Jesus demands love for those who are incapable of showing love in return. Jesus calls his followers to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is a high standard for all who would claim to be his disciples, for everyone who would claim to be part of his kingdom. We are not simply taught to meet the minimum requirements of the law. We are to fulfill the intentions of the law. They are not just called to endure when wronged. They are called to love their oppressors. None of these commandments of Jesus is possible without God's reign. The fulfillment of all these contradictions and the hope of perfection are only possible because of God's presence. In chapter 19, Matthew tells us, for mortals it is impossible, but for God all things are possible. So clearly the kingdom of heaven does not operate like the kingdoms of this world. How will we know when we see God's kingdom? When anger results in reconciliation rather than retaliation, God must be at work. When enemies are overcome by love rather than violence, God's reign is present. Jesus' message may not appeal to those in power, especially those with the ability to strike with no fear of retaliation. Jesus' audience is full of peasants who live at the, at the subsistence level. They have known the heavy taxation of Rome and have experienced the evils of political oppression. Yet Jesus does not rally them to overthrow the government. God's kingdom is bigger than Roman rule. God's power is greater than Roman oppression. God's justice will prevail. Jesus will indeed prove his kingship in this gospel, but only with a crown of thorns and a Roman cross.